Abington, Pennsylvania's Adam Shapiro has been featured in many roles in both TV and the movies. He's brought Philly with him as Hollywood's official soft pretzel purveyor. He loves the 76ers and all the Philly sports teams. Though, when supporting one of our teams, he does so, shall we say, undercover. I will say, when I go to Philly's Dodgers games, I uh, I wear a Dodgers hat. I'm just going to put it out there. I Wait, say the that Phillies. again? And you go to a Phillies Dodgers game and you wear a Dodgers hat? Yeah, I, I wait. I, I'm going to hit the stop button here and stop. <laughs> our What's up with that? Adam Shapiro will defend his need to wear Dodger blue, while also talking Sixers, pretzels, acting, and more on Fresh Twenty Four. Sixers lock all windows and doors. Adam Shapiro, Abington's Adam Shapiro. Yo! Dude, dozens of TV shows, films, movies. You are married to a beautiful actress, Katie Lowe's. You got it going on, but all all we're talking about with you now is soft pretzels. What's up with that? That's all I talk about. That's how I spend my days obsessed with Philly soft pretzels. I'm telling you, this is a... Yeah, but you're making them. Yeah, no pun intended, a twist I could have never imagined. Never imagined. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, You know, when the pandemic started, you know, I was doing a show. I was doing Never Have I Ever. My wife was doing a show called Inventing Anna. She was shooting in Brooklyn, and we kind of had the whole family there. And we moved back to L.A. during the lockdown because we're like, let's just get to our house, and, you know, who knows how long this is going to last. And I, I had a, you know, right now he's five, but he, Albie was two years old. And I was like, man, I got to make a Philly. This is your son we're talking about. This is my son. Right. And I'm like, Albie, this is it. This is the summer. He should be down the shore eating these pretzels. And now we're just stuck in our house and, you know, no. And so, but I'd never, have you ever seen somebody make a Philly soft pretzel in their kitchen? Yes. Actually, yes. I've seen it. It's because a, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with them too, so like I love to like look back in the kitchen. Oh, and the guys twisting them around and all that it's, stuff. It's, there, it's is the there greatest. anything better than a Philly soft pretzel, fresh out of the oven, like it's like the, en route to an Eagles game? No, it's the best thing ever. It is ever. It, ever. I, and and I, you know, like I, I think a lot of people, myself included, during the pandemic, like really needed like that comfort food, and not just like whatever comfort food you were near. I'm talking the comfort food from your childhood. Like, I was like, I need a Philly pretzel right now. I'm going to kill somebody. So I had to, you know, take it in my own hands and make one. And then, I st- and then you know, after about a month of trial and error and trying to make up my own recipe, I pull out a batch from the oven and Katie's like, my wife Katie's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is the best pretzel I've ever had in my life. So I start bagging them up and just flinging them over fences of other Philly people in L.A. You know, like... Yo, I threw something on your porch, a little something to make you happy during the pandemic. And um, and then it just started snowballing. People were like, yo, can I pick up some more? 
can I pick up some for my sister? Can I drop some off to my cousin? And then my wife, whenever uh, Kelly Ripa goes on vacation, she's like Kelly Ripa's substitute teacher when she does the morning show with Seacrest. And Seacrest, was they were doing an episode live from our kitchen of national broadcast live from our house. And Seacrest was like, what have you guys been snacking on during your quarantine? And Katie's like, oh, my husband's obsessed with trying to make a Philly soft pretzel. And I just jumped on TV. I'm like, yo, Seacrest, I'm bringing you some tomorrow. And I go to his house at four in the morning, and you know, because the show is shot so early here, and I drop him off pretzels, and he eats them live on the air, and he's like, everybody needs to buy Shappy's pretzels. <laughs> and I was like, there is no Shappy's pretzels. But of course, because Seacrest said it, on air, I went and got shappypretzel.com. I got the Shappy Pretzel Instagram. And I posted, listen, your mall's pretzel can go F itself. Shappy Pretzel. Oh, <laughs> and like, <laughs> just threw down the hammer. And I was like, if we ever become a pretzel company, you will be the first to know if you follow this Instagram. And so like, wait a second. A so, so you have, and I'm seeing you. On the Oscars red carpet it's, with your wife, not talking about like your best supporting actor nomination or what she's wearing. <laughs> You're talking about pretzels. I have a role in here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it. Let's listen. This is live on the champagne carpet with Alicia Vitarelli and some nominees and high profile guests are starting to arrive, Alicia. They are. The stars are starting to make their way down the champagne carpet, but you know what we always say, and you are going to love this, Philly. All roads lead to Philadelphia. In this case, That's they right. lead they lead to Abington. They do. And, and Philly is bringing the fanciest party favor. Forget the swag bags. What's everyone getting all right, tonight, Adam? Go birds, go owls. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we started LA's own Shappy Pretzel Company. It's a Philly pretzel company in Los Angeles. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel is one of our favorite customers. And he called a couple weeks ago. He's like, I want to put a Philly pretzel under every seat at the Oscars. This is amazing. That will be everybody's snack tonight. There's about 4,000 pretzels Good in the Dolby it. Theater right now. Good for you. Adam's been at the bakery since midnight. Try it. I washed my hands, too. Are you doing I'm carbs? I'm washed. Oh, yeah, I mean, our, we're doing carbs, right? We. Oh. Of course, we've done it. You we can might, address. You we might beautiful. be the only three at the Oscars. No, doing I'm convinced cards right this now. will be the greatest snack that every one of the Oscars has ever Yo, had. Yo, Philadelphia, I miss you guys. We love you. We love you. <laughs> Go birds. We're gonna get them next year. Abington's own. Abington High School. Adam Shapiro. And Adam's dad is a professor from Temple University. Oh, His mother yeah. was the head of the foreign language Abington department Junior. at Abington Junior High School. Oh my. Yeah, we love is, Philly. We love Abington. We love Philly. We've been in LA for 25 years, and I really missed Philly. And I was like, during the pandemic, I got to learn how to make a Philly pretzel. And it just turned into this insane company. And here we are at the Oscars. <laughs> of course, we love you, Katie Lowe's married uh, married you. couple. Well, yeah, we are both actors. So, I, I mean, even 10 years ago, had you said you're going to be going to the Oscars, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, really? the Oscars. Oscars, did I ever think I would be going to the Oscars as the pretzel queen? No. Yeah, you and did. I'm thrilled about it. We are show them your, your coupling. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Can we zoom in on the coupling? Do you see that? Those are literally handmade, one of a kind, the shabby right pretzel couplings. Yeah. Don't worry. And also, we're on Gold Belly starting tomorrow, so you'll be able to ship it. I Listen to me. Walter's going to need a pair of those uh, Philly yeah. pretzel couplings. Yeah, we're doing carbs. At the Oscars. Yeah, people. we're Philly. We're we're so if you're going to go to the after parties later and have a bunch of cocktails, you need to put down a layer right now. Yep. Carb up. That's Un it. 
under everyone's seat. How it is, is, it? is it so delicious. It's oh, the good. fanciest pretzel. Oh, good. I'm so on glad the champagne it carpet. is. Actually, you know we ABC Six. I'm dying right now. This is the John. Like this was this my. This is the John. This is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> you having it out of <laughs> is This whole thing spinning out of control. At least she's not even now. looking. She's just letting That's them right. talk. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this? This is my favorite moment at the Oscars ever. Well, there you go. You know, leave it to the Philly folks that. Turn it back here toward Philadelphia from Hollywood. And I love so Jimmy Kimmel <laughs> asks you to put pretzels under the seats? I'm telling you, once people started coming to my driveway to pick up these pretzels two years ago, one of his producers, Jill Lederman, amazing, amazing person, says, Jimmy Kimmel is going to freak out about these pretzels. Um, give me a bag. I wrote a note to Jimmy Kimmel on the bag. This was two years ago. We send the pretzels over to his quarantine in his house where he was doing his show live. And ever since then, he's basically ordered a batch of pretzels for Pretzel Day at Jimmy Kimmel Live for two years. And he calls and he's like, I want to put a pretzel, shappy pretzel under every seat at the Oscars. And, you know, over the past two years, we've gone into a bait. We've left my kitchen. We moved to a bakery, another bakery. Now we're in a really big bakery on Fairfax and right by the Grove in Hollywood, in West Hollywood. And uh, we can do it. I was like, how many pretzels is that going to be? He's like, 4,000. I'm like, all right. I will make you 4,000 pretzels and put them under every single seat at the Oscars. Just just help me get my wife and I on the red carpet, you know? And we went. We got tickets. And we Love got, it. you know, I was up at midnight on Sunday morning. I, I baked until 7 with my crew. We shuttled the, the 4,000 pretzels over to the Oscars, got them under every seat. And then I ran home really quickly, threw on a tux, made a custom. Made a custom uh, soft pretzel cufflink, and Katie and I were on the red carpet like an hour later. We had the time of our lives. It was it was an unbelievable night. I never would have thought I would have beat the Oscars because because of <laughs> Philly soft pretzels. I All wouldn't right. think anybody would beat the Oscars because of Philly soft pretzels. Yeah, right. All right, enough with the pretzels. We spent six minutes on it. You've doubled your sales. <laughs> I want a piece of that action, all right? You all got right, it, Sue. I, 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 want, I want to talk about your craft, okay? You've done a ton of movies, TV, Broadway work. You're Mr. Shapiro in the Netflix program, which is a terrific program, Never Have I Ever. Joel yeah. on Showtime's The Affair. Other appearances, The Bear, Central Park, Room 104, Grace and Frankie, Steve Jobs, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I say that with all due respect. Now, no, I please. had one. I, I had one role, okay? I was the TV play-by-play announcer for the 76ers. How do you, how do you get it yourself around? It was a around, great role. Appreciate you, brother. But how do you get your head around all these different roles? You know, it's funny. I mean, I mean every actor has their own process. I think um, I approach every role with kind of like, all right, what would Adam Shapiro do here? Oh, I'm an astronaut? How would Adam Shapiro be an astronaut, right? So, like, I'm always coming from a very personal place. I am not Daniel Day-Lewis. I am not, like, going to study under a cobbler for three years. And then, like, <laughs> and, and that being said, he's the greatest actor of our generation. I just wow. want to be, like, a, a dad and also be an actor. So, like, I like to have a little bit of that balance. Um, but I, you know, like, a lot of a lot of times I... I, I, I I'm grateful because I feel like I've been cast really well. Um, I really put myself out there, social media, just in in general, just in public. A lot of times I feel like when people are casting me, they kind of know what they're doing. Like they know I'm getting cast for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's to bring what I, what I do, you know, and 
no better example of that than Mr. Shapiro. I mean, Mindy Kaling basically wrote this role for me and called it Mr. Shapiro until I took the role. Um, and then it just never changed. So that's weird. Now that I have people on the street yelling Mr. Shapiro and I think my yeah. dad is like behind me. Um, but, you know, I come, my mom was a teacher at Abington High School. My dad was a teacher at Temple University, both for 50 years. Um, I My f- first few jobs when I moved to L.A. were, were teaching jobs. So, you know, f- being a teacher, which I've now been cast, I think, six or seven times as a teacher, it's just so in me that it doesn't take a lot of thought at all. Like, I just go in and I'm like, I, I know, when I stand in front of a blackboard and I sit down Indians, you know, when I sit down like yeah, it makes with sense. my legs on the desk, like, that's my, that's my thing. I think uh, the times I've been asked to kind of step out of my comfort zone a little bit, um, I like to just marinate on it for a while. My my process is like the moment I read the script immediately, I get to know the character, and then I just think about it for like weeks. And mm. it starts to come in. And then whenever I feel like, this is another little trick of the trade, whenever I feel like I have no idea how I would deliver this line or how the character would deliver the line, I just pick a famous actor and then I imitate them doing the line and then I just steal it from them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like if I'm like, well, Tom Cruise would kill this line, you know, and let's say the line is like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. I would I would be like, All right, well, how, how would Tom Cruise do this? It would probably be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. And then I'm like, oh, there it is. I got it out. And then a lot of times the moment you get it out, you're like, okay, I've done it. And now I feel what that feels like. And now I can repeat that a million times. Yeah, but then you sort of internalize it and add a lot of Adam Shapiro to it as well, right? I do. I do. That's that's kind of my thing. And then by the time it comes out, it it it's normally just a version of myself, which is which is the type of acting I like to do. You know, People don't realize the tedium of being an actor. They look at the finished product, the edits, the music, (laughs) the sound effects. It's all smoothed out. It's presented on a plate. And people must think, wow, you know, just kind of doing that must be a really cool thing. But it can be so tedious. You you do a line or two and somebody makes a mistake or somebody, you know, a light goes out or the director doesn't like something. And then you have to shoot it from three or four different angles. How do you keep in character with all that do-over stuff going on. Yeah, it's really interesting coming from theater because I was I was a real, a real theater kid and I graduated University of Maryland with a theater degree. So like I, I'm very used to just kind of doing it once. You just do it, and then if something goes wrong, you you keep rolling with it. You know, like how you would have done at the Sixers games forever. And and so, you know, you it's it's a pretty like shocking change when you move to Hollywood and all of a sudden you're on a set and they're calling cut. And they're having you do it again and again and again. I mean, I just I did a film last year called Mank with uh, with um, David Fincher, who's one of the greatest uh, directors ever. Mm. But David is is famous for doing multiple takes, like mm. a lot of takes. Mm. Normally, you know, from one angle, you might do something five or six times. Then you'll switch the angle. You might do it five or six times from that angle. Maybe a couple from a super wide angle to kind of get, lead the audience into the scene. So, yeah, maybe, like, you do, like, 12, 13 takes of a scene. Fincher, uh, we did 200 takes of a scene on Mank. Mm. 200 takes. Mm. And that mm. was the first time I'd ever really gotten f- mentally and physically sort of 
um, exhausted doing that many takes and sort of forgetting what I was saying and all of a sudden the words weren't making sense. But it's it's not always like that. For, I don't know. For me, I kind of like... As a, it's like a dream as a theater actor to be able to stop and start over and do something again. Yeah, right. You right. know, like you train yourself to to not do that and to just keep going. But I love getting t t five, six, seven run-ups at something. A lot of times, okay. especially especially in TV, I'm getting these lines maybe the night before, in, in a lot of cases the day of, and I do a lot of comedy, so a lot of times writers are just shouting out lines to me that are alternatives or funny bits or whatever, and I'm having to like do these things for the first time on camera. So I, as an actor, I love getting a bunch of takes, um, and I see the savvier actors kind of are really good with like the ones who've been doing it forever. They're like really good about... Um, using the takes to show different colors, I kind of like. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm because I come from theater. I'm like, I'm gonna do it the same way every time. Yeah, right. And I never want to mess up a take. But the more I do this, the more I realize, like, the, as an actor, you can use some of those takes to try different things and like kind of put it in the editor's hands to cr create, uh, you know, the puzzle piece that is your ultimately your final performance in the movie. Um, but it it is. Uh, it's it's a lot of hurrying up and waiting. It's a lot mm -hmm. of conserving your energy. Um, it's it, you know you have to be very uh, aware of the fact that you're going to be there for twelve hours, and yeah, that right. there's a there's a certain amount of energy you can be expelling in order to get through the whole day. Um, so yeah, it can, it can be really tedious, but I love it so much that I. My my adrenaline's usually running so much when I'm on a set that um, I I just I just go all you know for weeks and weeks and then mm. I just crash when the whole project's over. Yeah, right. Like when right. I was doing Waitress on Broadway, I don't. I mean, I did, couldn't sleep for six months. I was like on another planet. Um, and then I crashed for about three months after that project. You know, uh, something I know you identify with, and I I don't want to chop it up too much about that because I want I really want to know about your journey, a kid growing up in Abington, and how you yeah. got to where you you are now. But uh, one thing I know, and you could just nod your head, as a live performer, you talked about some of your theater roots, um, the buzz because you have to get it right. The, the level of concentration is such that uh, when you when I get off the air or you get off the stage, I'm sure you're like. You know, you, you're right. You can't sleep for like a week. But uh, thank you for the head nod. I just want to know, you're a kid growing up in Abington. I was a kid growing up in Northeast Philly. I always wanted to do what I ended up doing. But I was like, uh, I was a nobody. I was a chubby kid. I wasn't real popular. <laughs> I was kind of awkward, that sort of thing. Who were you, Adam Shapiro, growing up in Abington? I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not just saying this. I worshipped sports broadcasters. I, oh no you, way! You. You were my guy. I. Oh my so god. My, my brother was a basketball player, right? And so you know, you grow up and you're like, you just do what your older brother does. So I thought I needed to like, you know, audition for the basketball team every year, and I never made it probably because I say things like audition for the basketball team, right? <laughs> right. Um, I was never cast. The only time I was ever cast in on a sports team in high school was when I was in damn Yankees, and even that I played the devil. I wasn't even on the team. <laughs> um, but that yeah, shout out to my damn Yankees cast having in high school '97. Yeah, there you I go. um I uh. 
I was obsessed with sports broadcasting. I and and broadcasting in general. Like I wrote a paper in in mm-hmm. Abington Junior about my dream of being on TV as a as a as a news anchor. And I mm-hmm. won this competition, and I got to like shadow Tim Lake at NBC uh, in Philly for the day. And then that's when I realized there's no way I'm going to be a newscaster. No way, not can't uh-huh. do it. Like it's just so straight. You know, and like I can't stop making jokes that I can't. I was like, okay, maybe that's not my avenue. But I definitely want to be on TV, but this is a little straight for me. Um, I was, I would, in in more of an effort to be a basketball player, I went to Hall of Fame basketball camp in Montclair, New Jersey. And uh, they didn't know what to do with me. Like, I'm enrolled in this basketball camp, but I mean, I can't play with any of these guys, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, there was a, a broadcasting camp at that camp that was that was run by Bill Rafferty. Ah. A kiss, a kiss, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he was there, and the guy, and I, I don't know what happened, but I have a feeling one of my coaches went up to Bill Rafferty and was like, "Hey, can you talk to this Shapiro kid for me and see if he could <laughs> see if he could just move over to your camp from our camp because uh, he's really slowing the game down." And so Bill Rafferty pulls me aside in the dorm at Montclair State University, and he's like, "Hey, I think you're, I think you're a TV, I think you're an on on." camera guy um and i just started rapping to him about temple basketball and about the big five and and the the atlantic 10 and um i you know and i met him and i'm like oh my god this is like this is where this is what i want to do you know even when my brother was playing basketball at abington the i would i would run the camera up in the booth and and Mm. do play by play even Mm. though i'm sure the coach was not is the sound on when when the coaches run game tape? <laughs> I don't think so. But if if he were to put the sound on, he would have gotten some great play by play by a ten uh, year old Adam Shapiro. So I would imagine, and I think you alluded to this previously, uh, productions in high school, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, University of Maryland. Uh, you did a lot of theater there. Uh, but then you take that big step, and I think you went to New York before L.A. Um, what's that like? You're, you know, that you hear, oh, the, the stereotype is the starving right. artist. Okay, yeah. were you the starving artist? Yeah, I mean, I, I've never, I mean, yeah, I mean, I did theater in high school and I did some theater in, in at University of Maryland, but I never really, never believed I was going to be a professional actor. Hmm. I just thought, like, this is where I should be right now. Mm-hmm. And maybe this theater degree could, like, get me to Hollywood and maybe I could work behind the scenes or whatever. So the weird part about it is, like, I never really felt like a starving artist because I, I never really felt like an, like an artist. <laughs> um, I just yeah. kind of felt like this is me. This is what I do, whether that's teaching Hebrew school in the Valley or working as a production assistant. Which you did, right? You did that for a minute. Yeah, yeah, three years, man. Those kids, Mm. I just ran into one of those kids the other day. He's like 36 years old. I couldn't believe it. He's like, yeah, my son's about to have a bar mitzvah. And and I was like, good Lord. So I, whatever I did, you know, I was was Andy Dick's assistant, which FYI, worst job ever in the history of Mm. Hollywood. Mm. Um but I, I worked at Survivor, and I worked at all these TV shows, and I was a manager's assistant. I worked at an agency. And so I never really felt like uh, I was only an artist. And so – and I was always – I always had a job. I always was able to, like, you know, pick up some McDonald's and not really starve. Yeah, and right. so I never really felt like that starving artist. And then when I, – I actually met a, um, a woman from Philadelphia named Connie Tavel. Hmm. 
um, is a really big manager producer in in Hollywood. And through my family connections, she was like one person that I could meet with when I moved to LA. And she gave me this really great advice. And she was like, listen, I think that you have what it takes to be an actor if that's what you want to do. But just so you know, 99% of the people come out here and they don't get any auditions and they don't find success right away and they don't understand how the business works and they move back to where they came from. So she was like, my advice to you would be take the next year, your first year in L.A., and work jobs and live in LA and get and read the trades every morning and get to learn how this industry works so that when you become an actor within the industry you're not taking everything so personally mm. you know you understand mm -hmm. why people get cast why people don't get cast and it was the best advice i could have ever been given because when I finally did get that audition, my first audition which I ended up booking for it was a T-Mobile campaign and um in which I say, yo, it's Adam Shapiro. I'm on a road trip. Like, I'm using my name in this commercial right. because I didn't even know any better to not say your name when they ask you to improv. Right. Um, I was so new to the world, but I just, yo, it's Adam Shapiro. Yeah, I'm traveling <laughs> the country. I'm on my phone. And, um, and she gave me this really great advice, and she was my manager for many years, and hmm. uh, that's a great Philly connection there. But I... I I just, I've always considered myself sort of not one thing, or maybe I don't even know what I am, and so it's helped me sort of be comfortable in any arena. So whether that's like, all right, now you got to jump into a musical, or now you're doing a hardcore drama on Showtime that's like winning Golden Globes, it's like, I don't, I don't consider all of those things that different. I mean, even, it, even the pretzel company, it's just, it's a lot like when I started a theater company, it's a lot like my acting career. It's, you're just, you're kind of a salesman and then when it, and then you sell it and then it's your job to make sure A, that performance is great or B, that, that pretzel is great. You know I mean? Yeah, and right. you just got to get it done. Check out our friends over at Philadelphia Sports Nation, a local Philadelphia sports site covering your favorite teams across blogs and social media. PHLSportsNation.com Philadelphia Sports Nation, enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. The great thing I think about sports is yeah. that it's it's a uniter, no matter your religion, Always. color, your skin, whatever. You're wearing the green, so I'm wearing the green, and we're brothers, even though we might be different yep. in many, many ways. Uh, Although you and I in, might be. There's, there's, well, there's right, a good be, chance that we are related. For sure, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, going, staying in Hollywood now, uh, yeah. what's the Philly vibe? I, I would imagine that there are a oh. lot of Philly, and I'm talking about uh, like Hollywood types, actors, producers, that sort of thing, who you go to the, the Sixers bar, the Eagles, the Philly sports bar, and you're all there. Is that right? It's I mean, I, I knew nobody in L.A. when I moved out here, and the first thing I did was go to a sports bar to watch a Sixers game, you know, at like 4 o'clock on a Wednesday, because that's what time the Sixers play out here. Right. And and uh, that's where I, I met Mike Jackson, who you had as a, as a podcast guest. I had a... Uh, uh, I got invited by a bunch of kids who grew up in uh, Germantown to watch the first Eagles game. The I, I had moved out to L.A. in August of uh, 2000. Um, one, 
and the next, the first Sixers, uh, the first Eagles game coming up, I got invited by Brian Klugman and Bradley Cooper and Lee Sternthal and all these guys that all kind of knew each other from Philly and that all watched these Eagles games together. And I used to go to this sports bar and watch every game with a huge Eagles contingent, like 40, 50 guys. More hmm. guys than I had ever watched Eagles games with when I was in Philly, yeah, right, which you just right, sort of, it's on right. TV, so I just watched with my dad and my brother, you know? Um, but I had this amazing, and that was my in. I mean, one of those guys who I watched uh, the Eagles games with, his wife, Amy Israel, is the president of Showtime, and I've done like three Showtime shows now. Be- huh. Not not just because of my relationship with Amy, but that doesn't hurt, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Ev- eventually, if, if a role is between two or three actors, and those tapes get sent up the line, the president of Showtime is going to be like, all right, it's this guy. And, you know, it's the Philly I'm, guy. I'm really, I'm really grateful the president of Showtime loves yeah. the Eagles, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and Bradley Cooper, who was like one of the first guys to like bring my pretzels to his set uh, mm. for Maestro, and, and, and Brian Klugman, who, you know, now runs all the marketing at T-Mobile, which was literally like how my my start happened. Um, but all these like Philly connections, and and when I started the pretzel company, that's when I realized like, oh, oh, this is even bigger than my mm-hmm. little pocket of Philadelphia and LA. Like it is massive. There are so many Philly people here, and and as you know, and I think thank you know thank God for all the technology that like brings us all the games because. Now it's like you don't have to just because you're living in a different town doesn't mean you have to like give up your like, you know, your green, your green card, you know. Um, And uh, so we, you know, the amount of Philly people that I have come across, I drive down the street now and everyone's like, yo, Shappy, go birds, you know, and it's it's Mm. such a funny. You got to you got to say it to the Philly, you got to say, yo. Yes, Shappy Gilbert. Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing. It's it's been really, you know, for the for the Super Bowl, I was like, I'm gonna I put out an Instagram and said, yo, the Eagles are in the Super Bowl. So I am making a promise to my Philly people in LA. If you want soft pretzels for the Super Bowl, I will personally deliver them to your house. Nice. <laughs> Which was like nice. an awesome and also unbelievably stupid thing to do. Why? Just publicly say, I'm, I'm coming to anybody's house to drop off pretzel. With no, I hadn't, I didn't give any, um, uh, what, what, like I didn't have any like boundary. What, what, what do you call like a, a radius? Yeah. For for delivery. So it's like right. It could have been coming from me, anywhere. I'm in, yeah, I'm in Orange County. Yeah. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So I ended up having to basically get like eight drivers to uh, deliver 400 different soft pretzel mm. packages around mm. the Southern mm. California area mm. to, to Eagles fans. And every time I walked into a house, it was like a party. And I'm like, guys, I, I can't stay. I have to leave and get to the next house. Yeah. I got a lot of Eagles fans. And you don't want Eagles fans upset at you either. Yeah, That's right. the last well, thing you want. Listen, I'm impressed you made good on that. But I, I do want to zero in by half on time. this. By, by halftime. There were a few yeah, right ones. Mm. I do want to zero in <laughs> on the Sixers, and I'm going to take a wild oh, yeah, guess because you said 2001, August of 2001. That was two months removed from a, an unbelievable run. Allen Iverson and that team. Aaron I would imagine McKee. it's got to be wheelhouse for Matumbo. you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember driving out. The run happened on my drive out to Los Angeles, actually. Hmm. 
Um, so I remember watching like game five. Every every game I basically watched at a sports bar in a different town, traveling wow. across the country. Wow, wow, wow! It was unbelievable. Um, and then I ended up in the one town uh, you don't want to be in at the end of that series. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I ended up like at the Lakers parade. You know what right, I mean? Right. Right. But um, but yeah, that that Iverson team, and you know, Aaron McKee was on that team, and I'm a huge Temple fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matumbo, and ah oh, man, that was just Tyrone you know, Hill, I, George Lynch, Eric Snow. <sighs> Snow. Yeah. I grew up, uh, um, you know, a, a huge Temple fan, but I, I and and Sixers fan, and uh, and Dr. J and I share a birthday. So one time <laughs> I was at a Sixers game, and like. The cheerleaders came up to our seat and like delivered like a birthday package to me, and there was a Dr. J signed picture that said "Happy Birthday, Adam," and that's like up in my kitchen to this day wow. in L.A. Wow! <laughs> yeah! Wow! Um, yeah, the Sixers and my squad. I Iverson just to try to put into words what it must have meant for you to watch him. I mean, you know, I had a front row seat and I was the soundtrack for all that stuff, but yeah, you um, for those who, you know, are 20 somethings and never really saw him play in person, tell me as a fan what it was like to see him perform. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, oh God, that's such a great question. I can't believe I'm getting a question about Alan Iverson. This is the greatest day ever. Um, I think like, <laughs> I, you know, Iverson, so much more, if you, you know, there's like two parts when you talk about Iverson. It's like, it's the basketball part and then there's the man, you know? And, and I think like what was so inspiring about Iverson was this, he was just, it was like the molding of a city and a player that only happens sort of once in a long time, you know, where, where a city and a player match up the way that Allen Iverson and Philly matched up. Like the, He's an underdog. He's undersized. He's constantly doubted, you know, and and constantly um, overperforming, even for fans. I mean, like, I I was the biggest Iverson fan you could have. There's seven posters of Iverson in my in my in my room mm. growing up, and you're still shocked by what he's doing. And yeah, I, I think for young basketball fans, I think like, you know, maybe John Morant has like that same sort of like did i just see what i think i saw like how did how did he do that and it happens a lot of times with iverson things would happen so quickly it wouldn't be until the slow motion replay where you're like oh my g-. like the jab step before the crossover like those kinds of like little things that iverson would bring to the game that sort of change the game in the same way that curry is changing the game now with like you know, shot percentages and how far away you can shoot and what makes sense and how many three-pointers you can take. Like, mm-hmm. Iverson changed the game as far as, like, the way that you approach the game and, and the way that you dribble the ball and the way that mm-hmm. you cross over. Like, mm-hmm. everything about him sort of, like, took the NBA to the next level. But I think as an artist and as somebody who's constantly in the public eye, I'm... I was always, you know, in hindsight, I can see it now, like really inspired by Iverson's commitment to being himself. And like, you know, that got Iverson into trouble sometimes. And that got, you know, like things happened um, 
with the NBA, with the dress code, with the tattoos, with Iverson wanting to rap, and and like there was like a constant sort of like tug and I don't know what you would call, it, but just like a battle with the NBA over sort of like oh, image yeah. and mm-hmm. players fitting a certain image, and I think like. Dr. J broke down some of those barriers when, like, the ABA and the NBA came together, and here comes Dr. J with his big bro and his style and and grace on the floor, and then all of a sudden, like, Iverson, like, taking it to another level, and I think, like, you know, I love, like, hearing young players, like, give it up to Iverson. Like, I love when Iverson shows up at a Sixers game, and he gets, like, so much love from from these young guys that probably— and that probably weren't even like born when he was playing, uh, but they understand what the impact Iverson had on the game and on the culture. And I, you know, for for me, it was just always really inspiring. And like a lot of times, I'll think about Allen Iverson when I'm like feeling insecure in Hollywood and feeling like I maybe I don't fit quite fit the mold here. Like I'm on the red carpet at the Oscars with my pretzels. And I wasn't in any of these movies, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, you know, like I have a video I always post on, uh, Instagram where I just change practice to pretzels and I, you know, it's, it's Iverson <laughs> just saying, we're talking about pretzels, not a game, not a game. We're talking about pretzels, pretzels. Um, you, you know what, yeah, you know what I, else? He's an inspiring guy for me, man. I just, I love, I love AI. And, and in some ways I think, and they're, totally different players Joel Embiid has some of that magnetism some of that charisma when it comes 100%. to the fans he plays to the fans they love it they they show the love back to him uh totally different guy though just in terms of being a big dominant big man as opposed yep. to Iverson the six foot 165 pound dish rag who got clobbered yep. every time he went into the lane yeah yeah well I- I will. I would argue that Embiid gets clobbered every time too. Just he doesn't go flying into the. He doesn't go flying into the third row like Iverson used to. But um, he ends uh, up on the floor a lot. Yeah, he definitely yeah. ends up on the floor a yeah. lot. I love Embiid. Yeah, they're you know that's another like, you know Embiid's like the modern Iverson in that like Iverson didn't have social media and Embiid is like the king of social media. The way that he trolls, the way that he. Uh, I mean, he's such a fun player to follow mm-hmm, on and off mm-hmm. the court. I mean, he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever been, like, a funnier Philadelphia athlete. Or do you know any other ones that have been, like, this genuinely hilarious? Uh, I think Barkley is pretty funny. Barkley's funny. Yeah, yeah You're I absolutely think he's, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barkley's trying to really think. funny. Yeah, I'm trying to think. You're, uh, you're, I'm sure there are some obvious ones. John Cruck. Who does um, our color analysis now? Really funny. I mean, really fun. Like, yeah, like these that. are really good. I like. I, yeah. yeah, I'm asking the right guy about yeah, this. Right. Like, funniest yeah, right. Philly athletes is a funny conversation. Um, oh, that's great. You know, one the my favorite Iverson memory actually uh, when the NBA was had the lockdown, which was '96. 
Was it ninety? Well, there was one in ninety eight, ninety nine, and it turned out to be a fifty. It turned out to be ninety eight, ninety nine. Turned out to be a fifty game season, which was amazing. It was like a college season, and that's it the first so time exciting. they made the playoffs in eight years. That was my favorite ever game. That uh, first game at what is now Wells Fargo Center, they tied uh, Orlando uh, one apiece at their place, and they took them on. I think they were a six seed. Orlando was a three seed, and they ended up beating them. But I just remember that game. I don't think anybody sat down the entire time that is so awesome well, i remember yeah. during the lock during the lockout or lock it was a lockout right it was um, a lockout that's right yeah the uh a lot of the players all met at a at pearson hall at temple university hmm. and would run just scrimmages all day mm-hmm. and there was a day that was so insane the amount of pl- so all these players this was like not mcgonagall hall but pearson was like a it's like a little like physical it was, it was a PE gym at Temple. Yeah, sure. And it was very close to my dad's office. And now my dad's a professor. My mom's a teacher. They're not pulling me out of school for any reason. Yeah, right. right. School is like paramount in my family. And I get a phone call from the principal's office while I'm at school saying my dad has to come and take me out of school. And mm. I'm like, what is, what's happening? You know what I mean? This is my senior year of high school. I'm like getting pulled out of school. I get I get on the phone with my dad. He's like, you need to get in the car and you need to drive down to Temple right now. And I'm like, okay. Wow. I drive down to Temple. I meet at his office. He's like, I'm about to show you the greatest basketball pickup game of your life. Wow. We, we walk into Pearson Hall and it's Iverson McKee, Rashid Wallace, Katino Mobley. Um, uh, Philly guys. Philly oh, guys. It was like... It was like all the Philly guys and right. then a lot of and then a lot of Sixers because okay. the lockdown had sort of happened. It was such a long lockdown that guys had sort of gone home. Yeah. And it was like a Big 5 alumni Simon Gratz reunion. Right. Broad Street, North South Broad molding. I mean, it was one of the coolest things ever and they were just running Lightning fast. I'm watching. It was it was an unbelievable sight to see, and I'm so glad my dad was like, I don't care if he's in school; he needs to watch this game. And I watched the game all day. And I, I mean, see, they just I, go ahead. Yeah, they just kept running. I mean, yeah, it, was, right. it was unbelievable. And uh, uh, Lamar I'm, Odom was there. You you um, a Temple killer, by the way, but uh, I won't yeah, go he, there. He killed yeah, right. Temple, but yeah, that yeah. bank shot in the uh, yeah. Pl- in the, uh, in the in the their tournament final, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> um, you know, I'm seeing you with the Eagles sweatshirt. You told the story of disturbing the pretzels, uh, you know, for Eagles fans and all that. Uh, so you love the birds, Phils, the whole thing, the whole thing, man. I love it. I will say, when I go to Phillies Dodgers games, I uh, I wear a Dodgers hat. I'm just gonna put oh. it out there. I wait. Root for say the that Phillies. again. You go to a Phillies Dodgers game and you wear a Dodgers hat. Yeah, I, I wait. For the I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hit the stop button here and stop. <laughs> our cor- What's up with that? So um, I don't love conflict, and I certainly don't like fighting gr- like uh, sections of stadiums. Right? It, does it get By that my... bad? I mean, we've heard you know you you read about it, those Giants it's fans not, who were across. It's not the different- great. 
I have a, yeah. I actually have a really great picture of me and uh, four of my buddies. We're decked out in all Philly stuff, and we're at the Phillies Dodgers NLCS from like ten years ago. Mm. And somebody took a picture of us from way up in our section, and you j- it's just a sea of blue, and there's the four of us in red, and then there's two. Uh, security guard police officers on both sides of us that they had mm. basically given us detail at the game. Now I don't even play around. I just wear a Dodgers hat and I and no one knows I'm a Phillies fan and no one messes with me and then I just get to enjoy <laughs> whooping their ass. I mean, it's the best. Yeah, right. I just um, don't mess around with it. No way. Not at a Dodgers game. What's your earliest Sixer memory? Earliest Sixer memory? Probably First time you went t- to a game. Yeah, the Spectrum. Oh, really? Pro- you go back to the Spectrum. Good for you. Yeah, it was probably the Spectrum. You know, my at my father was a Temple professor, and he was very close with the uh, the um, commissioner of recreation in in Philly, uh, Dolores Andy at the time. And she would always have like she had a little box at Vet Stadium, and she had a, a, a some seats at, at the Spectrum, and so we would often get to use those. In fact, the um, the box. The commissioner's box, the Philadelphia commissioner's box at Vet Stadium, <laughs> was uh, right next to the broadcast booth. Uh-huh. And it was like, you know, now you go into these super boxes and there's like, you know, buffets and oh, there's yeah. flat screen TVs oh, yeah. and couches. Right. This was just a, I'm pretty sure it was concrete and and um, astroturf was the <laughs> was what this box was made out of with folding chairs. But we kind of like would go for every game there, and I would like put mm. my ear to the glass and watch the broadcasters next door, and it was the coolest experience. I think this my first six years memory might have been watching Dr. J at the mm. at the Spectrum, mm. mid to late eighties maybe. I mean, yeah, you don't exactly. remember the eighty three? Do you remember the eighty three title team? I don't think you. Remember no, I was that too day. little. Yeah. I was, I was like three years young. old. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, you, you come back to Philly much? Where do you hang? What do you do? You know what? I I'm not I I I was just there recently for the Philadelphia Film Festival, which okay. is which is amazing, by the way. If you've never been down there, the oh, theater's yeah. great. Like that whole like yeah. the Philadelphia Film Commission. You know, they're really active at Sundance Film Festival. There's you know, I shot a film in Philly a bunch of years ago called Cafe with Jamie Kennedy, another Philly guy. Hmm. Yeah, right. Um, and Jennifer Love Hewitt, who's not Philly, but gets the pretzels all the time. Oh, okay. um, you know, and I mean, so she passes, she gets a Philly card. I, I get, I get a Philly as much as I can. My parents moved to Miami. My, my brother moved to DC. So it's rare when I'm visiting family that I'm, I'm going through Philly, but, um, I am, uh, I, this, this year I'm going to bring my kids. My daughter is now two years old. Hmm. My son's five. And I think this is the summer we're going to go to Philly now that, now there that we, now that everyone's traveling again. So you're gonna we're gonna have to meet up with you and we got we got to get awesome. these kids a cheesesteak finally. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last question, and we were talking earlier about the producer Mike Jackson, who's from the Philly area as yeah. well, and does so well out there. Um, well, now he's in Austin, Texas. But <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I I asked Mike. I said, um, you know, do you ever just have a moment where you just sit back and you think about what you've accomplished, and and you just say to yourself. Uh, uh, I'm like one of the luckiest people on the face of the earth to get to do what I do and to achieve what I've achieved and good family and I'm successful in a business that a lot of people would give their eye teeth uh, to get into. Uh, do you ever have those moments? All the time. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I have those moments just as much as I have those moments of like, what am I doing here? I'm, everyone's going to find out that I'm a fraud, you know. Uh, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I have, I'll, every time I step onto a set, every time I drive onto a lot, I mean, I've never lost the excitement of driving onto a studio lot and driving past the stages and seeing the actors walking from their trailer to the stages and then, oh, there's my trailer and there's my name on the trailer and there's my name on the chair. Like, all those little things for me are just... I, 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 like, I, you can't even really say it's a dream come true because I, I would never have dreamed that I'd be doing this in this way. You know, like I was in Budapest for the past nine months shooting a John Wick prequel TV series. Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, and I'm like learning uh, martial arts one day and then the next day I'm doing gun training and then the next day, you mm. know, like... And then I'm flying home for four days to shoot four episodes of Never Have I Ever and then getting back on the plane to go back to Budapest. I mean, it really is just, um, it's kind of, it blows my mind all the time. And I, every time I'm on a set, every time I'm on a premiere, every time I'm on a red carpet or something like that, I'm constantly thinking of growing up in Philly, you know, and mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. thinking about these things and wanting these things and having no idea how to achieve them. I'm constantly in in a state of like mm. wow, and then at the same time I'm I'm constantly in the state of like all right, I need what's the next thing. Yeah, right. You know, like yeah, right. <laughs> I, what what's next? You know, because I'm never getting hired again. You know, yeah, like every right. time I every time I wrap a TV show, I'm like, "Well, it's been a good run, Katie." Yeah, right. Ta you know, time to move out and uh, you know, start our start our our drama school in in like a tiny town somewhere. Um, you know, that's funny. I, it I, is, know, it's I, amazing. I'll say I'll say this, I just think it's the nature of being a performer that you, you always have a little bit of imposter syndrome kind of sneaking in there, right? It always. I mean, I'm, right. I'm just, you know, it's funny now that I'm, well, I just turned 43, right, in February. So, like, I'm, especially when I'm on Never Have I Ever, which is the show I do for Netflix, it's like I'm kind of the oldest actor on the set, right? Which I'm not used to that yeah, being right. the case. I just still consider myself like I'm like the baby on the set. Like everybody here has way more experience than me. And now I'm talking to these kids that are my students on the show and I and I catch myself sort of making references to like, oh yeah, when I worked with, you know, Fincher, when I worked with uh you know, when I was doing Steve Jobs or I was working with the Wachowskis or the John Wick people. And I realized, like, oh, my God, like, these experiences are starting to build up. Right, you know, like, right. th there you go. I, I'm actually to a place now where I can be a little bit more confident uh, on set doing what I do because, like, there's not a lot of things now that are in Hollywood that will be a first-time experience for me at this point. Um... But man, when it is first time and you get that rush of excitement mm -hmm. and that nervousness, I mean, I'll never forget my first night on Broadway. I had eight days, eight days to learn the entire musical. From the oh moment I got cast oh. in Los Angeles, I had eight days to move with my wife, who I co-starred in the musical with, and our six-month-old to New York City. And the clock started the moment we landed in New York, and it was eight days later we were having our Broadway debut. Um, 
in front of a completely sold out house, you know, that mm. didn't buy the tickets because we were in it. They bought those tickets months and months and months ago. So, it you know, that kind of that pressure, it, it's it's as a huge sports fan, it's like the only thing I could imagine it must feel like to walk into an arena and it's your first time in the playoffs or it's your first time in the finals. Um, and I'm, con- I'm constant, as you can tell, like I'm constantly taking things from the sports arena and using them in, in my own, in my own profession, you know? Mm-hmm, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's what you, I think that's the great thing about sports is that it's sort of the, the great analogy for so much of like the mm-hmm. life, life oh, yeah. and the challenges that we all face, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that's why it's so inspiring to, to watch guys and, and girls, you know, do what they do. I'm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, I say in mm-hmm. girls right now, cause I'm just got done watching the college women's basketball for the past few months and good lord it was great it was unbelievable great. yeah adam shapiro actor you're the man oh please actor father husband and soft pretzel purveyor <laughs> not to mention huge sixers and philly sports fans thank you my friend for being with us i'm sending you some pretzels mark you're the man yeah, but they might be stale. I want them hot out of the oven. I'm coming to you to eat them. Like, I'm going to come to the bakery, and I just want to eat them right there. Done and done. That's what you I'm talking about. You have an invitation about. any day. My man. Thank you, my friend.